Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to the James Bond Complex podcast, the show where we discuss, rejoice, and sometimes overanalyze the entire James Bond phenomenon, from Fleming to the films, and of course, as always, everything else in between. Ooh, I am one of the podcast's co-hosts. My name is Edgar. Surely you recognize my voice by now. Yet another special little introduction in this early 2024. This is a bit of a special one insofar as uh, what you're about to listen to was in fact released. This is not a new slash old but never released episode. This This episode actually was available to the wider public for a brief period of time. Unfortunately, in post-production, I decided to get a little bit cute when handling the Glass Onion review, a uh, Daniel Craig detour, since the film's closing credits feature uh, the titular song, Glass Onion by the Beatles. I decided to close out that episode with that song. Um, unfortunately, we got a copyright strike. Uh, the proprietors of the tune did not appreciate my my genius they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't understand how smart i was so we took the episode down or it was taken down for us on spotify and a little bit like the the majesties and only live twice recordings I, I basically just sat on it for months and months and months so that's why you'll hear reference to certain things that are dated by about 12 months i believe one of us actually says happy new year 2023 but you were probably downloading this in January of 2024. So again, just a bit of contextualization. Uh, the, the episode is as is. It is as it was when it came out. I think it was January 2023. And there are little snippets of Glass Onion as, as me and Jason are closing the episode. But then it'll, it just cuts in. And I've inserted the, the typical outro music that we've been using since 2022 on the show so there you have it little explanation as to why there's suddenly a daniel craig detour in your podcast feed it's because um i got lazy and and never re-edited the glass onion review so there you go hope you enjoy it and let's roll the tape ladies and gentlemen You expect it? The mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. But for one person on this island, this is not a game. Will you explain it to us then, detective? start. (laughs) 
Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to the James Bond Complex, the podcast in which we discuss, analyze, rejoice with a fine-tooth comb the James Bond phenomenon from Fleming to film and everything in between. I'm one of your co I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Kim, and we heard another echo. Who do we have? Uh, that echo came from me, Edgar. And Edgar, uh, what are we doing? What are we going to discuss today at the to start off, to kick off the year 2023? Uh, well, we're completing, as a collective, the four of us at the James Bond Complex, we're completing our duology of the the Benoit Blanc saga. <laughs> the, the, the tears, the laughs, the mysteries, the murders, the puzzle pieces. We are doing Glass Onion, which I believe officially known as Glass Onion, colon, a knives out mystery. That is the official title of this thing. Yes, it is. Uh, directed. Directed by Ryan Johnson, written by Ryan Johnson, starring Daniel Craig, once again as Benoit Blanc, and good lord, Edward Norton, uh, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, who Daniel Craig knows well, Jessica Henwick, uh, Madeline Klein, and some fun faces I'm sure we can get into as the review goes along. Jason you let's let's start macro and go micro um how many times have you seen the movie so far i've seen it three times three times are you getting tired of it no (laughs) it's like it's like uh i'm seeing this like the way i see casino royale uh star wars and new hope and inception the more i watch it the more i learn something from the movie and the more i like it you might. Are you are you telling me that it's almost like you're peeling back the onion layers and? <laughs> I'm peeling back the onion layers and then the center of it all is just hidden or it's not even hiding in plain sight as no, it's ben just right sense. in front of us. Yep. It's right in front of us. Now, Jason, I, I know that you know you get very excited when you come on the show, especially when it's a Daniel Craig topic, almost irrespective. It feels like I'm always doing the Daniel Craig topics with you, <laughs> except maybe Emery who did Knives Out, but it's usually me and you. Um, but I need you to be professional. I need you to buttress your feelings about Daniel Craig. Buttress them. Were you able to buttress your feelings last, uh, well, at the time of this recording, let's say, at the time of this release, I guess a couple of weeks ago, you once again <laughs> were in the presence of Daniel Craig for the second time in a couple months? Oh, yes, I was. Uh, I saw Daniel Craig three times in the year of 2022 or five times total over the course of 14 months because I attended a podcast recording with him at Leicester Square or podcast evening talk with him. At Leicester Square a few days before the premiere, saw him at the premiere of No Time Die, that is. Mm-hmm. Watched them on Macbeth late March, early April of 2022. Uh, went to a film, uh, closing of the Montclair Film Festival interview with him and Stephen Colbert. And then and then Matt Spazer invited me, informed the Bond community of the t- before the tickets went on sale of a Knives Out talk with the MTV and Comedy Central podcast host named Josh Horowitz. I never heard of him before that it meant or seen him before, but like, you know, I followed his channel afterwards. And then for our listeners, Matt Spazer of Suits of Bond, he actually works at the venue that I attended this Knives Out event with, with me, Kyle, hmm. Barbo, Easy Smiles, Expensive Watches, Boomer, his girlfriend, Sarah Spillane. Those were the only Bond community in presence at the time. So it was, it was almost... It was almost our same Macbeth watching group, but 
Mm-hmm. But few, few missing this time. But it sounds like you guys had uh, had had a good time having met uh, Spazer and, and at least Spazer and Barbo uh, once in person. Uh, they're, they're very very fine people, and uh, Barbo even helped us with uh, a beer episode that uh, came out about a year ago. So he's yep, a very he's, uh, fair piece. He's a good player. He's a good trooper. So uh, because I was able to get the tickets before they went on sale, because I was able to get the tickets for a very good, extremely cheap or cheaper price than what it was i don't know what the public sale prices were but i i got it at a very discounted rate and as a result i invited my friend stephanie who i used to know when she and i used to live in atlanta she lives in hudson mm-hmm. yards new york i invited her and then mm-hmm. i brought my two georgia tech atlanta friends so this was a good so i kind of went the james davis what james davis did for me like i spread the mm-hmm. james bond fandom well to my friends <laughs> But it's, it's the spirit of giving, after all. It's the holiday season, and the event did take place just uh, at the start of the holiday season. So it made sense, you know, it was mm-hmm. fitting. Um, so we, 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 I think we have a lot to talk about. Now, even at the time this episode comes out, you know, the movie has not been on Netflix for very long. I think you and I do want to get into plot details. Uh, that's part of the fun of, uh, you know, peeling back the onion layers. But how about we start, if only for a few minutes, and, you know, I'll include a little spoiler warning in post when we get to the details, but maybe just a couple of minutes, a drive-by generic review of Glass Onion, A Knives Out and Mystery. What what are your sentiments about this uh, sequel? Yay, nay, somewhere in between? Oh, super yay, super, super duper yay. Uh, I think Ryan Johnson's a brilliant, brilliant writer, and he needs to continue just doing these creative uh, original pieces. He, ne- he never needs to step, he never needs to enter uh, the franchise realm because, like, clearly Last Jedi wasn't, wasn't was mm-hmm. a more polarizing movie. Mm-hmm. Last Jedi was much more polarizing than say the two knives that movie or Looper or Brothers Bloom back then. Those are more yeah. universally praised and he needs to stick to his lane, I think. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, I guess the irony now at this point with two Knives Out films under his belt, he doesn't, he doesn't need to step into any other franchise. He's now created his own franchise, <laughs> albeit on a smaller budget, but still it's his own franchise. Um, yeah, it's funny how those things work out. Uh, you know, they a director, writer, director, he, she, they, 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 they earn praise. They earn maybe festival circuit notoriety, uh, indie spirit awards and this and that. And then... Hollywood comes calling, offers them a significantly larger budget, probably significantly larger salary as well. And, you know, shit happens, um, whether it's their fault or their own. And sometimes you just have to draw the conclusion, a bit like you alluded to, you know, that they, their talent, I don't want to say talent level, but the, the sort of talent that they have when they write and when they direct is befitting of the movies they were doing before they got you know a 200 million dollar budget to make a space opera film that's just it's not really their playground uh and and ryan johnson may be one of those writer one of those writer directors you know brick brothers bloom looper looper you know action sci-fi but somewhat modest nevertheless Mm -hmm. And, and now two knives out films it's seems clear to me that you know you hit the, the the tail on the donkey it's like you, the guy 
does not need to answer yes if they ask him if he wants to direct a Batman movie or anything like that. It's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good, man. I know what I'm doing. When I write my own scripts, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that uh, because like I, you know, I went kind of you know worried because like uh, I loved the first Ocean's Eleven movie a lot, and I remember walking into sec- Ocean's Twelve at the time in 2004 with my friend, and coming out pretty disappointed. I was like, oh, what if this ends up like that? But then, no, like Knives Out, I was completely blown away. I'm, and granted, like there were a lot of heaps of reaps of praise, like before. Like I know it premiered in London during the global James around the time of global James Bond week. And some of the bond fans were there and mm-hmm. they told me it was uh, spectacular and how Ryan Johnson hit it out of the park again. And then all the reviews kind of flowed in. Then I did not attend tip this year, but I know mm-hmm. received a lot of standing ovation at the tip. And then I did not, uh, I attended Montclair film festivals, but I did not watch it at the Montclair film festival. And then what I liked about, my evening with Josh Horowitz and Daniel Craig better than the one that Stephen Colbert was. Everyone had seen it versus the Montclair Film Festival. Only like five people saw it in the audience, so they couldn't really talk about the movie. So like mm-hmm. th- this time we were able to just delve into the movie, both Glass Onion and you know Daniel Craig's career as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I watched a little bit of the Josh Horowitz conversation. Uh, you know, the James Bond section obviously caught my eye. You know, did Daniel Craig say anything? super revelatory that we hadn't heard before not really but he seemed very relaxed you know i think he's quite happy that uh well a he doesn't need to play james bond anymore so it's the rest of his career will be a little bit more relaxing presumably and and secondly he now has a new character that people cherish and, and a character that he and ryan johnson have created themselves you know it's originally from ryan johnson's mind but you know I had no, before 2019, no one knew what the hell a Benoit Blanc was, even Daniel yeah. Craig. So, you know, they had sort of created that character together. So I guess he's very happy of um, how these you, two films have turned out. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I, I know some people t- tend to, like, mistake Daniel Craig saying, like, he's relaxed, like he's not James Bond anymore. Like, that's not a sentiment that he alone shares. Um, I remember when Timothy Dalton left James Bond in the nine in the early 90s and Pierce Brosnan took over and someone asked Dalton like oh are you sad that you're not James Bond anymore He's, and Dalton replied no I feel free as a bird I could drive down the Pacific Highway on you know along California and then there's a billboard of Pierce Brosnan not me and I'm glad that I had my fun but I'm glad that it's not me anymore I'm, I'm happy for someone else to take over and I think that's the complete opposite of like sports because Edgar you and I are huge sports fans and mm-hmm. not so much these days anymore but like back then a lot of athletes would get jealous if some the next player or next mm-hmm. franchise player would break so-and-so's record and then i remember yeah. things like like jim brown was really upset that frank the late the recently deceased franco harris of the steelers mm-hmm. could possibly break his rushing record and he's like oh i'll come back i'll sign with anybody so that record never gets broken right. and then but then in terms of the james bond the six actors they never got jealous of each other. They're like, no, we just want this to carry on. It's, and as Daniel Craig put it in one of the events I put, attended, he said, the best thing about Bond is it's not about me. It's you know, it's about the franchise that just carries on. I'm just one piece of that story. Yeah, no, and he's 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 absolutely right. Uh, so so let's slowly but surely maybe get into Glass Onion. Um, I I like starting macro and then going micro. Yeah. <laughs> 
Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Spoiler. Uh, so you've seen Glass Onion a few times. Uh, how many uh, did you rewatch? Uh, yes, you did. Of course, you rewatched Knives Out. What's the matter? That you did an episode with Emery. Um, I also happened to rewatch Knives Out over the holiday weekend, the Christmas weekend. How different do you think the two films are? And maybe more specifically, how different do you think, if at all, Benoit Blanc is in, in these two films? Uh, I mean, I think we see a lot more Benoit Blanc's personal personal background in Glass Onion versus like... But I think in the way the two films differ is that uh, in Knives, the first original one, we we were revealed of the murder firsthand and then we kind of like investigate the circumstances around it versus like glass mm-hmm. onion we don't know what the case is and and we kind of see the movie from everyone's perspective not mostly the perspective of janelle monet's character benoit blanc and definitely edward norton's character that uh everyone's those three seem to like express their confusion and shock of what's how each other are interacting and eventually we peel back the layers of the onion and then we're like, oh, Mm -hmm. so this is what happened. (laughs) And there was definitely, I think both cases, both movies were filled with treachery, but one was more, I'd say one was more open than the other. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because we sort of pre, uh, recording conversation i was saying that when i rewatched knives out one of the things that struck me was how the first third let's say of the picture adheres more or less to the traditional murder mystery template where someone dies and the police show up and there's a detective uh, there's a private detective in the background and they start asking questions and it is knives out basically does that for a good 30 40 minutes before revealing spoilers if you haven't seen a three-year-old movie for which there's already a sequel but before the film reveals that oh no like the the poor little nurse did kill him albeit by accident let you know now we need to understand how it happened and how this is going to affect the will and this crazy family conversely glass onion pulls the rug from under our feet in a completely different way we're given the promise of of a live action game of clue so to speak uh, on on Edward Norton's private island in in Greece, and then you know the SHIT hits the fan when one of them actually dies, and the whole plot is sent into a tailspin to an extent that even Edward Norton, who had invited his friends for a game of Clue, did not expect. Um, and it just so happens Benoit Blanc is there. Uh, we'll get into the reasons why eventually. So, you know, the, structurally. There are similarities in the sense that the movie, each film does this one thing for about half an hour and then decides deliberately so, no, we're not doing this. This is what we're actually doing. The the mysteries are different. The plots are very different and the characters that evolve around these plots are different. But structurally, there there are similarities between the two. In each case, the the first third lures the viewer into a false sense of security so to speak and then the last two thirds is like oh this has nothing to do with the first third you know yep and then uh i definitely love benoit blanc's delivery of the solution or the hypothesis or his hypothesis presentation in both films 
more so in this glass onion than I did uh, knives out there. Uh, like, well, I, go ahead, Jason. Because like you know, like he's like, in the first one, he's like, Marta, you know, I spoke to the car, we're in a donut hole in a donut hole inside another yeah. donut hole, but that donut hole is not a don- donut hole at all, but it's a hole in itself. And then, and then this one, he's yeah. like, and the first one, the main question was Benoit Blanc asks, why was I hired in the first place? Because he himself didn't know. Versus in mm-hmm. the second one, we have. He, uh, he, we see why he was hired, and then he asked the suspects why who murdered Cassandra Brand, which is Janelle mm-hmm. Monet's character's twin sister that she plays both characters <laughs> of. And then we kind of come to the reveal the layers of the story behind it. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, of course. Well, this being a private detective story, there needs to be a sequence for the. Uh, the um, I won't call him a protagonist because I do think Ana de Armas and Janelle Monet are the true protagonists of their stories. But this very did, important supporting character who is a private detective, you know, we need a scene where they regale not just the characters present, but us, the viewers. They need to they need to regale us in the juicy details of, <laughs> of how it all went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know which one I like more you know i'm speaking to the sequences where benoit blanc shares all Uh, i think they're both pretty good uh but i I guess that maybe bleeds into my next question how good do you think the mystery is in glass onion i'd say the mystery was less of a mystery in the glass onion because like it was always hiding in plain sight and as i rewatched it two more times since the original like everything like for instance, I mean, like I said, this is a spoiler episode. Like when the first time we see Janelle Monet's character run to Benoit Blanc, like when the lights turn off on the island, uh, Benoit was like, "Helen, did you find it?" He says, "Helen, did you find it?" And then I didn't. When you first watch the movie, you don't really think about it, but then second or third time, I'm like, "Oh, he actually called her Helen instead of Andy," you know, because you know they were behind uh-huh. this entire thing. Interesting. I did. I've seen it twice, and I don't. I don't know. Is it because the music? I don't know. I did not hear that. And of course, the first time I wouldn't have picked up on it. Um, I wouldn't have picked up on it at at all. Um, it's it's the mystery is interesting. Here's where I actually start to think that both *Knives Out* and *Glass Onion* uh, stray uh, different paths. I think. The mystery, what happened, who did it, why, and what are all the little puzzle pieces that need to be put together? I think it's a bit stronger in Knives Out. Um, I think what Glass Onion is doing and what Ryan Johnson as the writer and the director of the movie is doing, I think he's given himself a more difficult task of surprising the audience i think he he enjoy and he's very good at it by the way this is not a this is not a um, a criticism but i think he, he he enjoys this game of one-upmanship not just one-upping knives out but one-upping information previous information that we thought was was true mm-hmm. in glass onion and i think he likes doing that and he seems to enjoy giving himself the challenge challenging himself to constantly one-up it. I think in that respect, Glass Onion is probably the more entertaining of the two movies. Oh, yeah, I I would agree with that. 
it's uproariously funny. Uh, not to say Knives Out isn't funny. Actually, I chuckled quite a bit when I rewatched Knives Out the other day. But I, I was laughing out loud a lot more with Glass Onion. So I think the one-upmanship is superior in Glass Onion. I think if you're – again, these are sort of like dramedies, if you will. But, but if you're a little bit more – Attached to your well, what's the mystery? You know how how intelligent is the mystery? I think maybe Knives Out is the better movie. It's I think a little that's a, tighter, possibly. I think that's a be, that's a fair assessment, and that was kind of like what I felt the very first time I watched it. But then the second, third times I watched it, like I was just more entertained by the entire story. And then, and I remember at the Montclair Film Festival, Daniel Craig complained that my only complaint about Glass Onion is that when people are laughing. Uh, watching it together they're gonna they laugh so hard that they miss the next joke the first time i watched it with my <laughs> friend in a you know half empty theater because you know it's thanksgiving we didn't have that problem with it. but then when i watched it with the bond community and my friends at the 92nd mm-hmm. street y like everyone was just laughing at all the jokes or the sequences like you know like especially mm-hmm. anything that kate hudson said because like her character was a complete <laughs> dipshit <laughs> it was it was like a, i guess she was supposed to be like a kim kardashian type of person or what i don't know who she was modeled after but you know along those lines and then uh and when you're laughing at her jokes you 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 laugh so hard through the next mm-hmm. joke and so that's why i was so happy when i watched it last night at home i watched it with subtitles so you know in case i laughed hard i could read the next joke right right you, you were saying when you saw it in theaters uh not film festival we're talking theatrical experience it wasn't an empty or it wasn't a full room uh, I mean, granted, the theater is a pretty big theater, so and I saw like Wednesday afternoon, like while people were still at work, mat- Wednesday matinee. So it was still, I mean, it was a respectable size, but not like, not like the 92nd Street Y, where it was just a 900 people packed theater <laughs> stage. Right, right, right. No, I, I think I saw it in the evening with a local friend, and it was pretty, pretty packed. And the, the crowd, they, they ate it up. They, it was, it was an enjoyable. And respectful crowd that night. I had a pleasant time. You 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 laughed quite a bit, and the crowd laughed quite a bit when you saw it uh, in in New York. What are some of your favorite? Do you do you have a favorite moment? Do you have a favorite joke in the film? Is there something that gets you every time? Uh, pretty. I guess like Dave Bautista's interactions with his mom. That was definitely one. Uh, <laughs> uh, when Kate when Kate Hudson and was it Jessica Henwick? Is it it's Jessica Henwick, right? Uh, the, well, Kate Hennick. Hudson's assistant is Jessica Hanwick. Yeah, I think she says it Hanwick, Hanwick, Hanwick. I think she says yeah. Hanwick. When uh, he, when they say, uh, oh, uh, he's like, what's this for my second cell phone? My and then he's like, <laughs> and he's like, and then Pe- Pe- her character's name is Peggy. He was like, mm-hmm. he was like, hey, uh, Birdie, you did not think sweatshops mm-hmm. are where <laughs> sweatpants are made from, and then, or. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm spiritually related to, I'm spiritually like Harriet Tubman and Beyonce and, you know, like all these right. like very toned up political right. incorrect statements. And it's funny, the, the, uh, you know, Peggy, Peggy's not, is, is by far the least important character on, on that island, but she is given a few scenes. And it's funny, I remember watching the film the first time, going back a bit of a month and change. I felt a little bit sorry for that character. Oh my goodness, she has to uh, do PR yeah, loopholes. She has to jump PR loopholes for the Kate Hudson's character's idiocy. I didn't feel that anymore the second time. And, and the clincher for <laughs> the clincher for me was was the sweatshop email. 
uh, discussion they have, because uh, the Jessica Hannick character is justifiably shocked and appalled, and I'm like, you're an idiot. Why are you still with Kate Hudson? Like, this is you're digging your own grave here, girl. I'm sorry, but you're in this with her. Too bad. Oh, I I suddenly felt a little bit less forgiving to, to, towards the Jessica Hannick character this time because I'm like, what? Just find another job, damn it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I love. I thought all the characters were very well developed. Like, I thought. I mean, Catherine Hahn is the Connecticut governor running for Senate, and and then second time rewatching, I was like, wait a sec, this is a How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days reunion because like she and Kate Hudson were in that movie together mm. in the early 2000s, and mm-hmm. watching this movie again, I was like, I totally forgot how much I had a crush on Kate Hudson back in middle school, <laughs> and high school. I, was, yeah. I mean, she's still gorgeous, and my friends who I watch, female friends who I watch, they're like, oh yeah, Kate Hudson's still so hot, and mm. and uh. Leslie Odom's a Lionel's a very brilliant scientist and and obviously I mean watching this like I said watching this again like and many other films like it just shows like how extremely talented Edward Norton is as an actor like he really he he never like chews up the scenery but like he makes you like really like feel like and intact either antagonized or like carries the weight of the scene with him and I thought he was a very brilliant portrayal of like both a mixture of like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and that uh, both both those tech giants were known for like pushing their employees to the limit. Like Lionel says, mm. like, oh yeah, uh, he, he faxed me his ideas at middle of the night and that's what Elon Musk is kind of notorious for. Like he tells people to get in a teleconference at 3 a.m. in the morning. I was like, oh, hell that. I was like, that's why right. I never – that's why when I got rejected from SpaceX and Tesla, I was like, I didn't even feel bad because like, I was like, I don't want to do mm. that. Right, right. Uh, they had these brilliant messages that come on fax uh, through fax machines in the middle of the night. And a child equals NFT and just the, the bizarre thing. Like, what is is this guy a genius or is he an idiot? Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> do you then, do you have a, a favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite cast member or or characters? Is there some? Because there certainly is one for me, and it, it's. But uh, I'm curious to know about is there someone that stood out and you're not allowed to say Daniel Craig has been all black. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say either between uh, Edward Norton's Braun and Miles Braun and obviously Janelle Monae's character because mm-hmm. the, the only thing I've ever seen Janelle Monae is in Hidden Figures as one of the scientists, but I never seen mm-hmm. her in much anything else. And definitely, I think Edward Norton's character was really well done. I mean, he was much more, much more different antagonist than. Uh, chris evans character in uh the first one because like chris evans character you actually felt for him until the very end when the treachery yeah. was revealed where it's like i thought edward norton just really commanded great presence in every single scene that he was in yeah, it was a bit of an interesting reminder about how good of an actor he really is or the ra- the range i should say he really yeah. can play pretty much anything uh, edward norton that is I mean, for me, this, the standout for me is the other person you mentioned, Janelle Monet. I, I, I'm not going to claim that I'm particularly familiar with her as, as a musical artist, nor have I seen her. I still, but to the best of my knowledge, I haven't seen her in anything else. Uh, but I'm aware that she has played in a few things, and I'm aware that she's a very popular uh, singer. Um, to me, and I think I, I think I had this conversation walking out of the theater with my uh, my friend when I saw it in theaters. Uh, was this this could this could be time will tell, but this could be uh, you know our new Ana de Armas, where 
nobody, you know, okay, you've, you've heard the name, you sort of vaguely know who that is, but then everybody goes to see Knives Out, and it's like, who the hell is this actress? And th- I wonder if this could be the same thing, where like, oh, we've all heard the name Janelle Monet. I mean, I knew the name heading into Glass Onion, but, but I walked out going, no, this, she's an actor, like, she can huh. act, uh dual role completely different roles and there's some scenes where she's she's kind of triple acting she plays helen she plays andy and she plays helen pretending to be andy, andy she's yeah. kind of playing three things she's kind of doing three things in this movie i love the way she calls them the shitheads <laughs> the shitheads yeah or when they were kids uh my sister andy you know she's the calm rich bitch you know oh the dog ate the caviar, you know, <laughs> like a rich bitch. <laughs> yeah, so Janelle Monet would be my my personal uh, standout. Um, oh, you know, but she, I think she's already successful, even if she chooses to never act in another movie again. But she has her other career. But if she wants to con- pursue acting some more, um, this is a hell of a oh. breakout role for her. Hell of a breakout role. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I also want continue talking about or continue segue into miles braun because uh me being me the location scatter that i am uh mm-hmm. i found that the island where they filmed the movie is an actual uh, resort it's called the almond almond resorts it's like a franchise i think and it's the almond resort villa 20 on porto Helian, greece and so the glass onion where edward norton's office that's cgi but then everything else around everything else the pool the rooms look exactly the same on the website as it did in the film and i believe uh because uh, mind you this was filmed during like summer 2021 while the COVID was still going and that's what i wanted to bring is like i'm glad that this movie like took into factor of the COVID situation because like it was able to relate to the audience with the immediate effect because, you know, we all went through the two, three years of, you know, lockdown. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was meaning to add, that was actually one of my discussion points. Uh, I'll let you elaborate uh, first, though. Did, did you have did you have anything else to add about the, uh, the pandemic point? Or? Oh, no, I was just going to say the resort is $1,000, $1,800 a night. And if anyone wants to, <laughs> if anyone wants to split, split the cost with me, because you get a big ass room with the pool that Dave Batista and Kate H- and uh, Madeline Clint you know comes out uh, of whiskey whiskey the whiskey, character's yeah. name right? yeah. <laughs> so weird you, name so if you guys ever want to split split a room with me just hit me you guys know where to find me <laughs> and just then, d- dm the james bond complex, complex instagram account and then uh matt spazer told me that uh benoit blanc's residence he actually knew where it was it's like lennox mm. hill in new york city and he used to live several blocks from it so he recognized it when we watched the movie together you know, that that little moment struck me when when we go back in time uh, again to the sort of I guess the true start of the plot, um, and and we see Benoit Blanc. You know, I, I you could have quizzed me all you wanted and had me guess a thousand times where he lived. I I didn't know. Man, he must get paid very very well to solve these crimes if he has a high rise Manhattan condo. Like, what is he charging to solve these crimes? Good gracious. And then he gets – his, his partner slash roommate is none other than Hugh Grant, one, right. of the many, one of the many cameos. And then he was playing that – I'm not a huge gamer, but, like, I remember when I was watching the 
movie, like he was playing that video game on his laptop, like like everyone was during quarantine. Like my friends, like oh my nephew actually plays that game, and I, mm-hmm. I forget what it, it's like this ours game, something like that. And he was playing it with like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I was I just laughing. <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah, and there were a couple faces I didn't recognize. One of them, one of them is a um, actually. For, uh, just a, a quick moment. Uh, rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. She, she's on that Zoom call. And the other gentleman, the name escapes me. Steven, um, Steven Sa- uh, Sondheim. Yeah, uh, musical the, theater. He was the composer of West Side Story, both the old mm-hmm. 1961 and the new one. And then he was the cameo at Kate Hudson's party. He's like, oh, everything's going woke. And then we see Yo-Yo. <laughs> Yo-Yo I didn't... Match, I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and we have another cameo, uh, a very, very big name suddenly shows up as uh, Miles is like a driver or whatever. Ethan Hawke shows up yep. to give, uh... well, he never says what it is. He just says, you know, open your mouth, stick out your tongue, this hurt a little bit. And then he just insists that you're good. Uh, yep. What is that exactly? You're good. <laughs> It's like the men in black neuralizers, what they say. Right, right. So that was uh, uh, Serena Williams shows up for a scene. Well, shows up virtually. She shows up yep. for a scene. Uh, is there anybody? Oh, uh, uh, Jeremy Render's face shows up uh, for a quick moment uh, as the logo of the hot sauce um, on and the bottle. I, I couldn't recognize this, but because Ryan Johnson has worked with Joseph Gordon-Levitt quite a bit, but I heard the gong voice was joseph gordon levitt saying gong i heard that too i think you know sometimes you just give work to a friend because they like working together even if the cameo doesn't really mean anything i I never in a million years would i guess joseph gordon levitt is saying gong uh but apparently it's him um i it was nice to see uh not that i recognized him at the time i i had to figure out that in the credits but the uh the, the hippie bum who's sort of just relaxing while all this is going on down is actually noah segan who's a frequent uh oh Ryan it Johnson. Is, yeah it's I not, uh i would not have yeah. guessed that. <laughs> if you don't but, remember who noah segan is it's it's the other detective in knives out so not the keith stanfield but the other detective who's like a real fan of murder mysteries and he keeps oh, saying oh yeah. this is like in that book it's the same actor he plays the hippie bum who's sort of just smoking joints all the time i'm not here uh. <laughs> <laughs> and you you wanted to go into the pandemic factor of this well, not too much. I mean, I think, uh, you know, at the time of this recording, we uh, sort of lived our first year where we didn't have to talk about the pandemic too <laughs> too much, um, which which maybe may, I say maybe uh, made it slightly annoying <laughs> that was included in this movie. It's funny. We won't we don't need to get into the topic, but just the other day in, in our messenger board, we sort of briefly touched upon another movie franchise that needed to get or chose to get in the moment to deal with something. Uh, we, this is not the time or place to get into that one. And Knives, uh, not Knives Out, Glass Onion does the same. And I've always sort of, <laughs> in 20 years from now, is anybody going to give a shit about the fact that, <laughs> oh, right, in 2020, there was a, global pandemic that's why they're wearing masks for the first five minutes of this movie (laughs) i'm always like one of those things where it's like well yeah it's cute for us Mm -hmm. is it going to be cute for the people who watch this in 20 years 
I, I think I, I have, and in fact, I, uh, I'm sorry for being so secretive. I just don't think it's the time for it. But I sort of said the same thing when we broached the other topic in our messenger discussion. I'm like, I get why they did it. But is the next gen is the very next generation gonna give a shit? Like, are we not a little bit too much in the moment sometimes with these things? But whatever. And I heard that's why Serena Williams filmed her scene virtually because you know it's during the pandemic and uh, and he, and Daniel Craig was really in. Dan, Ryan Johnson suggested casting Hugh Grant as his partner and then and Daniel's like, oh yeah, go for him because I really like. I'm a huge fan of Hugh Grant. But because of the pandemic and, you know, like they were filming like all around the world, not all around the world, but they had to film like in certain countries with, you know, certain specific protocols. So that's why you mm -hmm. never see Hugh Grant share scene screen mm -hmm. time with any other person except for Janelle Monet, because like I don't even think they were in the same studio at the time because like it was just Hugh. I think like, what uh, Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig said in an interview was like uh, Hugh Grant filmed his scene virtually. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that that's true. Uh, what is he? He he's he's messy because it's paint, right? He's a painter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or is he a cook? He's no, a painter. He paints. Yeah. He's a painter. He's a painter. <laughs> so strange. Uh, but it's funny. It's funny. Everybody loves Hugh Grant. Why not put him in the mood for twenty seconds? Um, how important is it? Uh, and I'm not insinuating that it is or that it isn't. I'm I'm genuinely curious. For you, Jason Kim, for instance, how important is it that so far, two films into this eventual trilogy and maybe beyond, how important is it that so far Benoit Blanc has ostensibly come to the aid of people who, quote, deserved it, uh, end quote, because uh, Ana de Armas deserves it for a bunch of reasons uh, that you and Emery got into in, in the other episode, and and the Janelle Monet characters, S, mm -hmm. uh, sort of deserve to be helped in, in Glass Onion. Is that particularly important to these films' success? What, what do you what do you make of that? Uh, do you like it? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Share your thoughts down below. <laughs> uh, I like the way the characters are really well characterized, and that because like. I don't think like the movies were going too political by any means. Like I know like everyone has their own political senses, but uh, I thought in both cases justice was served, and it just shows that uh, we as audiences don't always know what's going on behind the scenes of each individual character. Till someone like Benoit mm -hmm. Block really delves into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, it certainly makes the films a lot more palatable because uh, we've had two – again, if we sort of, for argument's sake, Benoit Blanc is, is not the protagonist. You know, the protagonists have been Ana de Armas and Janelle Monet, which they are for several mm -hmm. reasons. You know, it, it certainly makes them a lot more palatable where we sort of feel for Ana de Armas because of her circumstances and – I think those scenes between her and Christopher Plummer just before he passes or passes away, so to speak, guy slits his own throat. <laughs> but those scenes between her and Christopher Plummer are quite critical because we can tell there's a genuine friendship there and we can tell that an honest mistake was done. Mm -hmm. And conversely, with the flashbacks, when uh, not Andy, Helen knocks on Benoit Blanc's uh, door, we can tell that uh, you know she's a pretty good person too and 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 Benoit Blanc is is keen to help her um there is a part of me 
that I'm not making a suggestion for Ryan Johnson. He can do you know whatever the heck he wants. But there's a part of me that wonders what if what if he capped off this trilogy in slightly I say slightly more cynical fashion with a third Knives Out movie where Benoit Blanc is like, look, you hired me, you paid me, so I'm gonna help you, but you're like a fecushing douchebag. <laughs> Why am I helping this person? But he's just so good at what he does that he's gonna help them anyways. Because so far we, so far he's come to the aid of people who are like, oh well, you know, we want Janelle Monet to win and we want Anna de Armas to win. They're they're fun characters. They're nice people. You know, I wonder what, what what's it like when Benoit Blanc gets really, really well paid and does the job, but for a freaking asshole. For like I mean, uh, we get that moment in the movie where uh, Edward uh, Miles Braun uh, hides behind uh, what is it? Benoit Blanc and says, "I'll pay you right. a billion dollars if you get the guy who was trying to kill me." And then, because uh, like the whole time, like, because uh, like Ma, uh, Benoit Blanc explains the mystery to. Miles Brown and he's like, you you put you, he said you pretty much created a powder keg situation when you invited five people who have a motivation against you and then it's like turning off the lights and with the gun in the room and then <laughs> and then later on uh, Benoit Blanc eventually like you know responds in anger it was stupider than that it's just plain stupid it's dumb <laughs> it's dumb and he's like what makes it dumb is he stole my own idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like the part where um, God, I, I remember sitting in the theater and I could not stop laughing, you know, before anybody's died. Uh, and they're at the dinner, you know, they're having dinner, and you know, Edward Norton's like, "Well, the Murray Mercy's about to start," and <laughs> just solves everything. Yeah. And they go up to his office, and as Edward Norton says, you know, I got. I got, uh, what's her name? Jillian uh, Flynn. Jillian. I need Jillian Flynn to write that. Oh, oh, she's uh, she, she's pretty pretty good. She's goddamn expensive. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's some great lines in um, very, very character driven lines in this uh, movie. Oh, did you did you catch the, uh, the? I couldn't believe they put this in the movie. Did you catch the 2000? Not the 2001 Space Odyssey joke. The 2010. The year we made contact joke. It's full of stars. It's like 2010. It's like, what's uh, <laughs> that in the movie? <laughs> and then, uh, oh, do I get to win an iPad? No, you get to win an iPad Pro, and he throws the iPad at uh, Oh, yeah. Well, even before that, I, ju- I just like the part where he says, oh, do, do, what do we win? You know, I, well, I, no, 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 no. I was just wondering, you know, yeah. we won, you know, do we won something? Sure, you get an iPad. <laughs> Ah, man, I, I mean, like I thought, Dan, like like many interviews have said, like it looked like Daniel Craig was really relishing having relishing this movie. Pun intended, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. He he does. Um. It, it's it's um. I mean, we sort of started this review with that talking point. You know, how different is this version of of Benoit Blanc? If if we go by the two films we've had so far. I wonder, this is, and this makes me even more curious about the third in this trilogy, this eventual trilogy, is it feels as though Benoit Blanc sort of bleeds into the setting of where he is. Because he, he's funny in Knives Out, but not always uproariously so. And it's sort of in the northeastern United States. You can tell it's in the fall. There's a chill in the air. The palette is a little gray and brown. 
Whereas here, it's we're in the summer. I think the movie starts in May. Uh, we go to Greece. It's always sunny. People are dressed, you know, very sexifully. He, you know, dresses to to his his own style, I suppose. So, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit more of a um, colorful Benoit Blanc. Again, I, I don't I don't mean to insinuate that I didn't think he was colorful in the first one. He is. But yeah, it, it, everything is sort of kicked up a notch. The whole movie, the whole setting is more colorful. Oh, and yeah. Because of that, it's almost like Benoit Blanc is more colorful suddenly as well, to an extent, anyways. Now I think about it, both the first one and the second were were made as a result of No Time Dive being delayed. Uh, the first one, certainly. I don't remember the second one. but So, so what happened was uh, the first one was made because, like, you know, after the Danny Boyle fiasco happened, they're like, oh, uh, we're going to push the production date. We don't know when. And then Daniel Craig signed on to the first one. And the first one took like five, six weeks in Boston. And that he was, and by the time he was done or close to when he was done, they said Kerry Fukunaga's going to direct it. And then obviously mm-hmm. during COVID, no time that I got delayed four more times. And then, and at the time, the September 20, the eventual September 2021 date didn't get delayed, but you know, everyone was still like, you know, like on the fence, like it's gonna get delayed or not, and then, mm-hmm. and then, before the premiere happened, Daniel Craig went, flew out to Greece and filmed his, filmed the entire movie in like seven weeks, seven eight weeks, or like two months, and then, I mean, and I think like you could see it within the cast, like everyone was colorful because like you know every because everyone was locked down or quarantined for two for a year mm-hmm. and a half, uh, they just. We're happy to be together like like the movie says oh can we hug now can, can we like you know, shake hands and, and you could see it in every actor's portrayal and and so that's what i'm saying is like and then as a result and then eventually once no, no time now once glass onion finished filming uh barbara broccoli and michael g wasn't set the green like no we're having the no time that premiered end of september no questions asked like, mm-hmm. uh yeah well i i think Delays surrounding No Time to Die had a much greater influence on on Knives Out than maybe Glass Onion. I think they, they sort of I, I think they were going to make Glass Onion regardless. Knives Out was too much of a success. Whether it was made, whether whether they made Glass Onion while we were questioning if there would be a No Time to Die premiere or not, I, yeah. I think they were going to make it anyways. I, I I would say No Time to Die's uh, colorful history. Uh, had a had had a significant impact on the very existence of 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 Knives Out. I mean, we're probably not talking about Glass Onion today. I, who knows? You know, yeah. alternate timelines and parallel universes. But but there is a chance we're not even having this conversation, you and I today. And you didn't have your conversation with Emery if you know uh, Danny Boyle doesn't decide to shoot James Bond into space or whatever the hell it was he wanted to do there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, what it, and then because like I remember like at the inter, at all the interviews and even in some of the interviews that I've attended at the Montclair or the No Time That premiere, he said like I really didn't think the premiere was gonna happen, so I was able, so I was so happy I got to shoot the knife glass onion like in mm. that in that interim period. And I wanted to go a little more more into our not our protagonist but our reprising character Benoit Blanc, just like sure. Daniel's Bond. Uh, I'm a huge, I was a huge, I'm I'm not a fashion guru like Spacer or Simon Roscar or Peter Booker by any means, but I really appreciate the fashion or the costume work 
in both films. I remember after the mm-hmm. first film, I bought the gray car coat that he wears in the first or throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie. And this after this movie, I still can't find the shirts, the, the pink shirt and then the, <laughs> the sky blue shirt that he wears with the cocktail custody. And then Simon, Peter, Kyle Barbeau, the, you know, the fashion gurus at the Bond community told me that it's made by Anton, the Anto shirts who makes custom make shirts for a lot of mm-hmm. movie characters for Hollywood. And then uh-huh. they sometimes do mass releases, but but they do make they do provide the same shirts if you order it. And I really, and though this outfit doesn't make the most prominent experience, appearance, but I really like the sh- uh, the sweater that he wear, the light sweater that he wears when he talks with Helen before on the night before they go on the island. She's like, "This is your oh, last yeah. chance to, this is your last chance to back out." And I thought this when I uh, first saw it, I was like, it really reminded me of Cary Grant's character in To Catch a Thief when he's like. Uh, I'd have to rewatch. I've seen it. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't remember Cary Grant's costumes very well, but I'll take your word for it. So, like when Cary Grant's like kind of like acting as a cat burglar at the end mm-hmm. of the movie, I was like, oh wow, that's actually. It kind of reminds me of that. You know, both movies are set in very like mm-hmm. sun, you know, like warm climates, and I thought it was very. And then that's what the costume designer said. It was like Cary Grant's inspiration. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant's look was an inspiration for the movie. And then another actor that I'm not too familiar with was Jacques Tati, the actor Jacques Tati, a French actor. Uh, I, I think he's mostly known for being a director. He may have acted. I know he's made a lot of movies. He's sort of a, a comic comedic director. So like the hat that Benoit Blanc wears at the end of the movie, at the final shot of the movie, uh, that does I had to Google Google image just who Jack Tati was because I'm I wasn't very sorry sorry about that uh, I'm not very familiar with his work and then I was like oh that is a Jacques Tati hat interesting not I, I'm not familiar enough with my Jacques Tati to grasp maybe why they would make that reference although although from what I understand Jacques Tati made comedic comedic movies that maybe were constructed a little bit like puzzles if you will which I guess which is what I guess I guess Ben or that's what Benoit Blanc's Knives Out trilogy is becoming. Possibly, possibly, maybe, maybe Benoit Blanc would have fit right in into a Jacques. I'd, I'd have to watch a Jacques Tati film to 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 know for sure. Uh, the costumes are quite good. Everybody is dressed. I I like what uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is wearing. He's that nice uh, green, dark green. Yeah, no, that's a very very nice outfit. Probably the quietest character. In, in the movie, uh, maybe he gets maybe a little bit lost in the shuffle uh, just because he's more of the scientific mind. He doesn't have sort of bold statements to make a whole lot. He's a little bit more quiet. And he's not really – he never really caught me as nefarious or had like ulterior motives. And uh, speaking of ulterior motives, like what I really like in this movie that they showed is when uh, Benoit Blanc and uh, Helen creates that chart of all the characters and it was like motivation and opportunities. I was mm-hmm. like, that's what, and then eventually, like, they, eventually she ruled everybody out because, like, they didn't have any motive to kill Cassandra. And then I took that same exact chart and used it to watch the first Knives Out. And then, mm-hmm. and I still came up with the first conclusion where uh, either, uh, what's that Miami Vice? Jamie. I, I, and I still came up with the same conclusion that it was either uh, Tony Collette or uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's husband 
what were the suspects? Oh, uh, Don, Don Johnson. Don, Don yeah, Don Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Because like, they both, <laughs> they both had the. They were the only ones, in my mind, who had the opportunity and the motivation behind Harlan's murder in the first. I mean, eventually that's not what happened, but that's who I would have narrowed it down to. Right, right. Yeah, no, they had pretty good motivations. It's funny. It's I, 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 that was one of my talking points. I'm sort of happy you, um, the conversation has bled into that. I was going to ask you if you thought all the people present on the island had a good enough reason to be considered possible murderers, because the second viewing, my second viewing. Um, sort of enlightened me a little bit on on who these characters are, and a little bit like you, uh, you know, it's it's a it, again going back to my earlier point, why I think maybe Knives Out has the slightly better mystery plot, especially if we're talking about murder mysteries. I think Knives Out is a little bit superior because they're more um, enlivening candidates. Candidates. Uh, good fits for being murderers you know in addition to everybody in that family being just the most despicable people yeah um whereas the people who show up to the greek island there are a whole lot of them that like oh yeah that person definitely would have killed uh edward norton if they had the chance i i two viewings and i'm i'm not under the impression that half the people that show up would hurt a fly they might kill a fly accidentally because mm-hmm. a couple of them are like freaking idiots they're mm-hmm. morons they'd sit on a fly and not know they did it um but they wouldn't they wouldn't have enough there's not enough malice in their bodies to want to kill edward norton which is why i think it's very important for glass onion success that it plays this game of very oh really oh really this game of one-upmanship that's very funny and the twists are very colorful because again i'm not sure the mystery is great in glass onion i didn't think that i'll agree i mean i think that was i think that was my initial complaint when I first saw the movie, like, I didn't think the mystery was as great as the first one, but I think that also was the point of the movie, and that's what Edward Norton's character says about the Mona Lisa, who he quote-unquote loaned from the Louvre <laughs> in the movie. He says, uh, the, sim- the, Mona- the thing about the Mona Lisa is this, this simple thing that you're looking at suddenly takes layers and depth so complex it gives you vertigo, and mm-hmm. and that's kind of like an analogy to the movie, and or as uh, Daniel Craig's character says, is that uh, the object that seems densely layered, but in reality, but in reality, the center is hiding, is in plain sight. It's not even mm-hmm. hiding at all. And and I think I do agree that the mystery wasn't really. I'm not sure if it's not underdeveloped or it was just never there. But the mystery <laughs> was definitely better in Knives Out, the first one, versus like in this one, it does keep purporting to that claim that you know there is no mystery everything's open in the plain sight and right. it was all it was always there which is a way of of making an entertaining movie like none none of what i said a few moments ago yeah. is an argument why it's an an unentertaining film I, on the contrary i think it's wildly uproariously entertaining movie you know it, it's a damn good time you know two hours watching netflix believe me i would encourage anyone to check this out at least once um, you know whether you want to see it a second time to fit the pieces of the puzzle but it's, itself. But yeah, but it's you. not. But it's not like the true murder mystery, like you said. Because like like you said, like like we both said, um, the characters in this movie, I don't really feel the motive, the malice or the opportunistic 
opportunistic opportunities out mm-hmm. of all of them. The only character I saw some op- who was being opportunistic were Catherine Hahn's senator character and uh, Dave Bautista's uh, right-wing YouTuber, but then those two didn't have the malice, but they had the you know the greed of wanting versus like in yeah in the first nights that all every character in that movie just clearly looked like they had both the greed opportun malice and yeah and, yeah yeah and no, I, I agree because yeah. it's it's you know the Dave Batista character is an interesting one where you know he he's an easy character to make fun of because of you know what he does online he's like a streamer of some sort. Um, you know, with 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 whiskey. Oh, I, oops! I love my tips. Uh, no, my tits. And it's like, it's like, who are these people? So they're they're, but it, it's not because they're easy to mock and they stand for what they stand for that they're necessarily evil people. Like neither of them are particularly evil people. And but those are two more people on this characters on this island where I'm like, well, neither whiskey or or Duke are gonna kill Edward Norton. It's yeah. like I don't think they have it in them to do that. Doesn't matter what they stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Edward Norton, if if I may, and if and if you don't understand the question, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more. But do you think the writing that went into Miles Braun is is consistent enough? Um, sort of mean like after all, he, he he's proven to be rather stupid by Benoit Blanc. You know, he's saying mm-hmm. words that don't exist, and he stole from Benoit Blanc's own idea to sort of kill uh dave batista but he still sort of made a name for himself like i i two viewings of this film i have a bit of a difficult handle on miles braun like is he as stupid as benoit blank claims he is is he is should i be giving his character more credit because he does make Kate hudson's character big he does help Catherine hans character so he can't be that moronic but he also but the, but the punchline is he's an idiot so i don't really understand that part i mean and then benoit blanc also says to cat uh cassandra or helen that uh uh, ben, uh miles Blanc definitely didn't kill cassandra because he's not stupid he would have hired someone to do it and then mm-hmm. but so i think he kind of played with his own words but and i definitely agree with you and I don't disagree with what you're saying, but this is the way, I mean, me having gone to technical university, you know, like having idolized, not just me, but having idolized the people like the Steve Jobs, the, the what is it, Elon Musk. I definitely idolized Elon Musk for a very long time until like more recent news. I mean, not the, or even Jeff Bezos for, for that matters. And, and I always saw them as geniuses because, you know, they were like, you know, being the frontier of people, you know, mm-hmm. of, of their they're being like the frontier visionaries, which they still are. I'm definitely not doubting that. But then the more you got to know them, you're like, at least, I mean, I won't go into the Elon Musk because that's another different topic. But like at least Steve Jobs, like I remember after his passing, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, like this was, we lost a great man. And then when you look more into Steve Jobs, you're like, he never really created anything. Like, he, li- <laughs> he I mean, like, I mean, this is not a knock on Steve Jobs. Like, he, he didn't create the circuitry of like, he didn't create the iPhone. I mean, he pushed people. He knew how to push people to the limits, like or as Michael Fassbender says, like Michael Fassbender's character and Jobs is like, heaven and earth were created in seven days. You had two weeks to create the iPhone and you failed. Like right. so, like so. I think Miles Brown is kind of is, is like that. Like he knows how to push people and like you know like he's very. Uh, he can surround. Uh, he knows who to surround himself with. Yes. 
he knows how and but he doesn't have the technical data technical knowledge to like drive a company like it was a lot of it was like the steve wasniakis and you know, the other technical mm. experts but like whereas like uh jobs or elon musk they never created anything that they particularly started they like you said they're good at surrounding themselves with the people who are the experts in this case in the movie's case it's lionel and then mm. even when lionel says like you know hydrogen fuel is gonna be is a little too uh volatile to be mm-hmm. released to the public and he still doesn't listen and that's and i think that really does a good job characterizing miles Braun and the way i viewed you know idolized all these tech entrepreneurs from an early age and then to the revelations later on right so basically people with visions and and you need a particular brain to envision something like that but but they need help. They can't do it on their own. But if, if they didn't exist, no one would have the vision. So they are still important in that respect. And maybe Miles Braun is that type of a character. Like no one else would have thought up. No one else would have thought of the things he did, but he wouldn't have been able to start it up on his own. He needed a Leslie Odom Jr. He needed a Catherine Hahn to promote it. He needed a I don't know why. I still don't know why he needs Dave Batista, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, why is Dave Batista in this movie? But, uh, you know, he needed a few people, a few key people, be it a scientist or a politician, to vouch for his stuff, to, to make it happen. But he did maybe come up with, well, what if we came up with this new energy source, or not new energy source, but what if we recycled a very old idea, despite how dangerous it is? I mean, because like, that's kind of like a Steve Jobs was like, I mean, I don't want to go too down the rabbit hole because I remember when the iPad was first released in 2010, like the social media and just the media or just media as a whole were just like destroying Steve Jobs. Like, oh, that's such a stupid idea. And people are calling it the maxi pad, the, the, the tampon pads, you know, like making fun of the iPads. And 10, 12 years later, everyone has a tablet PC, like whether it be an iPad or my, or what whatever other brand. And that's kind of like what, Steve Jobs and Miles Braun are like they're visionaries. They're very eccentric, but they're not the most technically astute people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I guess so. I, I guess so. And I um, want to read, I wanna read oh, this. Ahead. I want to read this one review of uh, Knives Out that I read from the Empire. It's a, or it's a review summary. It says, uh, "Knives Out Glass Onion Mystery is a bigger, bolder, funnier, and angrier sequel that improves on." improves on almost every aspect of its predecessor. Ryan Johnson plays with an airtight script that targets the absurdity and the stupidity of the 1% while delivering a hilarious murder mystery on the most luxurious private island not owned by a Bond villain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess interesting commentary. I, you know, it's it's. I'm not going to uh, get into social commentary or anything. I think maybe the review, sort of assuming that anybody in the one percent is automatically an idiot. I, I think you need some intelligence to get to be in the one percent. So I'm not going to go that far. But it, it's certainly a fun example of how um, an individual who who you know does have some smarts, but he's not as smart. He's clearly not as smart as he thinks he is, um, and he sort of fumbles. His, I don't want to say fumble, but he, because he surrounds himself with the right people and because he pushes people in the right direction until he pushes Janelle Monae too far, um, he makes it into that one percent. And and as Benoit Blanc points out, you know, when it comes to maybe some simpler things in life, he's he's not that. 
intelligent. I think it's interesting to see um, how someone who might be in the 1% and they got there for reasons X, Y, Z, and I'm sure part of it has to do with cunning and part of it has to do with, with savvy business sense and savvy entrepreneurship. But sometimes people, I say sometimes, I'm trying to be careful with my words as possible here, but sometimes people who are so good at those things, entrepreneurship and surrounding themselves with talent, which are important things for financial and sometimes political success, but when it comes to other things like just, you know, one-on-one relations, they're they're goofballs, you know, they're clowns. And and I think maybe Glass Onion is, is a very entertaining interpretation of what someone like that might be like and when they hit a roadblock such as when duke's phone goes off and it turns out oh the person in this room apparently is dead mm-hmm. um and then you know a person like Mao's braun gets the brilliant idea of i need to kill my friend right now which is the worst thing to do you know yeah. so I, it's an entertaining depiction of what someone like that would be i, I don't i don't know if i'm going to agree with the idiocy of the one percent i think you have to be able I, smart to be in the one percent oh no i think i agree with that too but i think i don't think the entire review was targeting towards miles Braun's character but that entire collective group because like sometimes people say the one percent can be very out of touch and that's and we see that a lot in kate hudson's character for sure yeah well the kate hudson character is i mean that's certainly an Birdie exaggeration Jay. of uh birdie j is an exaggeration of or, or maybe not she's not such an exaggeration of of people who are you know rich and famous and f- for, you know they, they 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 made it they they got there for reasons xyz and go make your money uh, no problem there but they don't have much else um and what's between the ears is maybe not as developed as your ordinary human being. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sweatshop email conversation is, you know, that's sort of the clincher. Although I do like the exchange between uh, Bertie J and uh, Benoit Blanc when they're sort of having the little oh yeah, I champagne. Like and he, I actually think it's one of the funniest lines in the movie where Benoit turns her and says, you know, it's a dangerous thing to confuse speak, speaking, uh, speaking without thought and speaking the truth. And then she re- to which she replies, oh, so you're saying I'm dangerous. <laughs> That's probably one of the best lines in the movie. Like, this this, this bird, huh? it's Birdie J, this bird does, no, she, she doesn't get it. <laughs> it's not getting it. It's not getting into, into their head there. Um, which is why I, I, I am not on board with the Jessica, Jessica Hannig character anymore. I'm like, you should have left this woman so long ago. You are digging your own grave, girl. Um, and then uh, I only found out at the end at the credits of the movie that because I I love the credits at the end of the movie where there's a very good, colorful illustration of each individual mm-hmm. character of the cast that only then did I realize learn that Glass Onion is a Beatles song on the White Album I never knew that well I guess we can't all be Beatles fans <laughs> I mean I did like a lot of the music choices like like the Starman and uh, Star by David Bowie was used, and there are mm-hmm. plenty of other musical choices. Obviously, Yo-Yo Ma and his cameo, but and then mm-hmm. we and then Glass Onion to end the movie. 
Yes, yes. It's only one of the most popular songs, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are there any? We've been going on for, for a decent little bit. We don't want to tire the listeners out. Are there any? I, I'm, I'm going to stop my discussion points. I have a few more, but they're not they're not life or death questions. Is there anything else about Glass Sunny that you want to bring up? No, I think I covered everything I did. Interesting, interesting. Uh, let me just oh, – hold on a second. Uh, the damn phone is – Who's DMing me on Instagram? Is it Monsieur Blanc himself? <laughs> oh my God! Is it Benoit? It's the it, wrong Monsieur it's Blanc. The, it's the wrong Monsieur Blanc. It's it's Monsieur White. Um, he's asking. In fact, he's not asking me. He's he's well, he is asking me a question. He's asking me to ask you uh, if we have people everywhere. We do have people everywhere. My mind got. We got people in Amman Resorts in Greece, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, Michigan. (laughs) That's right. We got people everywhere, uh, including online. Uh, Some some would claim those are not real places, but there's a Facebook page. Search for the James Bond Complex. There's Instagram, which is at the James Bond Complex. Uh, we're on YouTube. Search for the James Bond Complex. Subscribe and tickle us with the thumbs up button. Uh, what else now? There's Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the best in the business, Apple Podcasts. Search for the James Bond Complex. Write a review. And leave us a five-star glowing golden gun review and tell us what you thought of Glass Onion, a colon, a knives out mystery. Uh, Jason, if I'm not mistaken, you are also an independent uh, you also have an independent uh, account online. You guys can find me on Instagram at JASXON88, where you will continue to see posts related to Glass Onion, or you may have seen posts related to Nizak, a Glass Onion. Mm. And you will continue to see posts that are related to Glass Onion and from Fleming to film and everything in between in, for the rest of 2023. Oh, that sounds very titillating, Jason. Thank you for that. Thank you for your surfaces. So I guess on on that note, just as James Bond always returns, well, we know James Bond is going to return at some point. So Uh, too will Ben LaBlanc. He has to. I mean, they 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 Netflix spent more than enough money for two movies, and they got one. So we know Ben LaBlanc has one more mystery adventure in him, at least one. Uh, and, but yeah, just as James Bond always returns, and just as, Jean, as Benoit Blanc will return at least one more time, so too will the James Bond complex uh, with whatever is scheduled on the Google Calendar for next week. Um, on that note, uh, tout, merci, toujours un plaisir, à la prochaine, and, and I guess happy uh, 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.